Thank you for joining us here on the Bowling Green Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God, encourage our community, serve those in need, and share the good news of Jesus. You can find out more about how we do this on our website at BowlingGreenChristian.org. It is our prayer that the following message encourages you as you take your next step in faith. I hope you have been enjoying the series. It is kind of a new and a different kind of thing, and it's a little more of a teaching kind of series where we're looking at these different paths that people feel uh, close to God. And really, it's not just how you feel close to God, it's how you experience spiritual renewal. Uh, We're all wired differently. I don't have to tell you that. You didn't need to come here today to learn that. You knew that already. And God created us that way. The problem is that for a long time, we have sort of treated everybody as it's a one-size-fits-all kind of deal, where, you know, we've all got to, you know, connect with God in the same way. It's all through, you know, you know, reading your Bible or prayer or just, you know, this one simple kind of thing. And reading your Bible and prayer is super important. Those are kind of the hinges that I think, you know, the spiritual life, you know, swings on. But uh, truth be told, we all connect with God in very different ways, and we feel close to Him, and we experience renewal in different ways. Last week, we talked about the people that want to be outdoors, and you feel closest to God when you're in nature. And we talked about people that want to be surrounded by God's presence, um, maybe through art or music, or, or, or surrounded by God's presence through tradition. And those are all really great ways to uh, connect with God. Today we're going to talk about three different ways, and and I I want to just sort of again uh, highlight where this material comes from. It comes from Gary Thomas's book, Sacred Pathways, and and we're just going to kind of scratch the surface of each of these pathways together, and I know some of you are going, man, I'd really like to know more about my particular pathway, Uh, but because we're not going to take nine weeks, you know, to talk about each individual pathway, um, I would encourage you to pick up that book. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, you can get it, you know, at a used bookstore. I'm sure it's been in several, you know, different versions of print. So uh, pick that up, look at it. That's a really uh, helpful way for you to learn more about your pathway. Today, the three pathways we're going to talk about are these. We've got the ascetics, the activists, and the caregivers. So how many of you took the uh, sacred pathway quiz? How many of you took that? Hey, a few more than last week. If you're going, what's the spiritual pathway quiz? It's in the app. You can link to it there. Um, But how many many ascetics do we have? This is actually my number one. Okay, so we're like, it it hurts us to raise our hand, but uh, we will. Um, So we've got the ascetics. How many activists do we have here? This does not hurt your feelings to raise your hand. You're glad. There we go. All right. Yeah, good. That came up quick. All right, next. Caregivers. How many caregivers do we have here? Yeah, a few more of those. All right. So each of these paths, again, holds certain things in common, and these paths really feel closest to God, experience renewal in God when they are lost in the work of God, when they get lost in God's work. Uh, That's what we're going to be talking about this morning is, is some principles whereby we can sort of maximize being lost in God's work, whether you're an ascetic and that's through prayer or an activist and that's through speaking up for truth and for justice, or whether that is um, as a caregiver, showing love and compassion to people that are in need. So each of those sort of wants to partner with God in a specific type of work that God is doing and to uh, in, it, you know, be renewed spiritually there. Uh, so let's just talk about three principles here. The first one is this. 
is that prayer is super important for all of them, for the activists and for the the caregiver and for the ascetic. The ascetic's sort of main thing is prayer almost in its entirety, and we'll talk about that a little more towards the end. But for caregivers and activists, it's, it's important that you spend some time in prayer before you get involved in these, you know, different activities that you're going to be involved in. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a long prayer. It doesn't have to be this, you know, super thought out, you know, 30 minute sort of petition to God. It can be a very brief prayer, but prayer is really important when you come into these activities. Uh, Paul talks a little bit about this in Romans chapter 12. Uh, verse 9, he says, be devoted to one another in love. So again, we get this picture here of an action. You know, we're going to be devoted to each other in love. We're going to care for each other. We're going to encourage each other in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Well, how do we do that? Well, we're going to be joyful in hope. We're going to be patient in affliction. We're going to be faithful in prayer and we're going to share with the Lord's people who are in need. We're going to practice hospitality. So Paul sort of just lists out some things that we're going to do. But notice that as he lists out, you know, sharing with the Lord's people who are in need, as he lists out practicing hospitality, that's prefaced by this idea of being faithful in prayer. Prayer is important before we get involved in these activities, and it doesn't need to be long. It can be a very short prayer. It can be something like, hey, God, help me here. You know, help me as I speak up. Help me as I encourage. Help me as I teach. Help me as I exhort, as I tell somebody the truth. Uh, for the activist, you're going to maybe confront somebody, and you're going to want to, you know, say, God, will you let me be a voice of truth and encouragement to them? And that's all the prayer maybe really needs to be. For the caregiver, you're going to say, you know, man, as I come into this time and I'm going to care for some people, I'm going to show them love in a very practical and tangible way. God, would you use me to show your love? This is just sort of, I think, part and parcel of what it means to do this in the name of Christ. And not only are we going to pray for ourselves, but we're going to pray for the people we're serving, right? Because here's the truth, activists, those of you that want to speak truth into every person's life, and, and you load up the shotgun of truth sometimes, and you go out, and you're going to just blast somebody with it. I mean, we've, we've all had uh, been on the receiving end and on the dispensing end of that. Um, what is important is we have to realize we can't change people's hearts. You know, no matter how convincing and compelling you are, you'll never change somebody's heart. That is up to God. We say that the Holy Spirit does that. He's the one in charge of convicting people and, and uh, leading them into, you know, transformative life experiences. And you may be a part of that, but it's going to be the Holy Spirit who's the primary change agent there. And so you need to pray for them. So as you go into that situation, you pray for yourself, say, God, would you use me? But you say, God, more importantly, would you touch somebody's heart? You know, God, maybe my words just simply get them ready to hear from somebody else, but Lord, would you be at work in them? And then after you leave, you know, maybe a conversation or a time where you've been teaching, you say, God, would you allow what I've shared with him to be a seed that grows into truth and into change in their life? You want to pray for those people. Again, this isn't long. It can be short. It could be in your drive to and from wherever you're going, but it's an important part. Caregivers also, I mean, you know, you can care for people and you can do all the things that you know how to do, but, you know, we believe that God is, you know, ultimately the healer and the provider and, and the caregiver of all of humanity in the world. And so we say, God, would you care for these people? God, as I've done a little bit of care, would you do even more care and, and pray for the people who are in your care? Prayer is a critical part 
of this. Now, again, um, we'll talk some more about the ascetic uh, temperament a little bit later because it's just going to be something we'll kind of spend some time towards the end. But, um, you know, the, the ascetic person, your job is prayer. Your job is to be in prayer for people. You know, I, I, I've mentioned this before, and, and this just kind of works uh, with this, but I, I, I do go to the monastery once a year uh, for a, a study retreat. And when I come back, the number one question I get from people um, after they hear I've been at the monastery, they go, well, what do they do? Like, that's the number one question. Like, what do they do up there? Like, what do they do? And I'm like, well, you know, they, they work, and they pray, and they, like, sing some songs and stuff. And they're like, well, that's good, but like, how does that help anybody? Like, that's sort of the number one question. Like, you know, how is what they're doing productive? And I say, well, you know, they pray for the world. Like, that's like, they like take that upon themselves to pray for the world. And people send in prayer requests from all over the world, and they pray for those needs. And, and they're praying for people. And they're like, well, yeah, but how are they helping anybody? Like, there's just something in our mind, like we have this disconnect. And then I mentioned that they run like a million dollar fudge and fruitcake business, and they donate a lot of stuff to other people, and they're like, ah, so that's what they do. But that's not really what they do. Like, they used to sell a bunch of cheese, too, and that was a really profitable and lucrative business for them, and they got rid of the cheese division of the monastery. I don't know how they make these decisions, you know, I'm not invited in those rooms, but, um, you know, they decided to do away with the cheese division. Why, Why did they do away with the cheese division? They said because it interrupts with our primary work of, wait for it, of prayer. You know, the timing of having to be there and and dealing with the milk and all these kinds of things, it wasn't like a factory line where they could start it and stop it in order to be at time for prayer. It it interrupted their time for prayer. And they said, you know, we don't really want to be engaged in this because our primary purpose is prayer. And and let me just sort of, for those of you that are skeptical, I I just, you, uh, you may not agree with me and that's fine, but here's really firmly what I believe. If you are in the habit of praying for people, and you are in the habit of praying for the world, and you're in the habit of maybe praying for your family, or you're praying for the church, and I know a lot of you tell me that you pray for me, and I know that you do. When you neglect your prayers, I believe that it gets a little bit harder in the world somewhere for somebody. Because Scripture's pretty clear that when we pray, God responds and He acts, and how that all works is very much a mystery, but it is very much an action that we are called to do. Now, for some of you, again, this is maybe not the place where you feel spiritually renewed. You know, you nod off when you pray. And so for you to pray five, ten minutes, man, that's really great for you. And that is great. But for others who are saying, man, you know, it is my job. I believe it is my job to keep watch in prayer. Don't neglect that. Don't neglect that because that is incredibly important. You know, I've shared this before, but it's true. Working in ministry, you know, I'll get cornered all the time over, you know, Uh, this coffee, you know, it's this, or the parking lot, you know, it's that, or have you seen downstairs, or the lights are out here, you know, or, you know, the sermon, it's getting a little bit longer, or, you know, the music, it's kind of loud, or the music isn't loud enough. I mean, I get it on both sides. You know, I hear all those things, and people corner me, and they'll ask me these things, but I've yet to have somebody from the church sort of corner me and say, hey, listen, have you been praying enough this week? Tell me about that. Is that working the way it should in your life. And yet that's probably the number one question we should all be asking each other is are we engaged in the work that we're called to do? And for the ascetic, that's the work of prayer. So we got to pray. That's step one. Whether you're a caregiver, you're an activist, you're an ascetic, that's going to be kind of the entirety for you. Then the next thing we need to do is this second action here, and it is reflect. 
It is reflect. Now, what I mean by that is to, to know our motives, uh, to make sure that we're coming into this, you know, for the right reason. How many times have we been harmed uh, because somebody, you know, served us not to serve us, but because they were, you know, going to get something from us. You know, they served so that they would be served later. You know, it, it's, it's sometimes when, you know, like you receive something only, you know, you're, they're not giving you something, they're buying something from you. Uh, we've all had that moment. And it's important for us as we come into, you know, caregiving, when we come into being an activist, uh, particularly, that what we're doing is for the right reasons. That we come into it through prayer and we say, God, I want you to use me. And God, if there is something in me, if there's some sort of motive that, that isn't right, would you help me to sort of get rid of this and to, to purify my motive and to make sure that I'm doing this for the right reasons? One of the best questions that I've learned to ask myself is this, who am I doing this for? You know, who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for myself or am I doing this for somebody else? And when we can really come to the the clear answer on that, that's when we do our best to, to find that out. And, and I want to sort of speak to a little bit of this here because I think when we start talking about these spiritual pathways, caregivers and activists maybe in particular, and maybe I think even ascetics, they're sort of wired that they want to do, they want to achieve, they want to accomplish, and they start to think that maybe God's love is dependent upon them doing things. The caregiver, they give and show love because they think that that's how they earn God's love. The activist, you know, wants to go out and to exhort and to encourage because they want to win the approval of God. The ascetic wants to pray because they think that in praying, maybe they're going to earn something in their own spirituality. And and the truth is, that's not true. You know, we don't earn God's love. We don't earn God's approval. We don't earn God's respect. That's given to us through Christ Jesus. And so we don't do these actions because we think that that's going to buy us something with God. We, we do these actions because it's renewing for us spiritually and because it's something God's called us to do. You know, we get trapped, actually, by these very things that bring us renewal when we think we have to do them to earn something from God. These are renewing only when we do them as a response to God's love to us. And so it's important that we allow God to initiate that, that through prayer we, we realize we're joining in a partnership with God. And that the very thing we've prayed for, that God, would you bring healing to this person? God is answering that prayer through us, through me and through you as we show care to people. That's what we've got to come to this place of realizing that as we pray and we reflect, we realize we're in a partnership with God. We're not, you know, earning something from God. We're not, you know, you know putting coins in a spiritual vending machine so that, you know, what we want at the end comes out, you know, through our prayers. We don't do any of these things to earn something, but we do these because we love God. And then once we've done this, once we've prayed and we've reflected, that's when we step into this next piece, which is engage. Now, again, for the ascetic, you know, prayer, that's going to be the place where you engage. But for the caregiver, the activist, this is where you are going to really come now and say, all right, this is, this is where I get my hands dirty. This is the place where I put, you know, put, you know, roll up the sleeves and get involved. And this is where I'm going to now really start to do something. And for you in the doing, that is the place, man, that's the sweet spot. You just feel the love of God sort of course through you. You feel the power of God course through you. Now, I want to say, how many of you are not a caregiver? I mean, you're not caregivers. Anybody out there not a caregiver? It's really okay for you to own that, okay? I'm not a caregiver either. Um, we're not all caregivers. That's all right. Uh, but we're all called to care for people. Uh, we're all called to show love to people. What we're talking about here is the people that experience God's renewal through care, 
uh, and you know who you are. You know, you're the ones that we can't keep you off of the list of serving with Room in the Inn or Meals Inc. You're the ones that are always there because you just love to, to show God's love to people. And when you're there, it's, it's like you feel the presence of Christ in that moment. Others of you, you've got to sort of charge up so that way you can, that way you can sort of use some of your spiritual strength in that moment. And that's okay. We're all called to care. Some people experience renewal in it. The same thing with the activists. You know, we're all called to tell the truth to people. That's hard sometimes for folks, particularly in the South, if we're being real honest with each other. You know, we don't always want to tell the truth to each other. We want to be polite. We want to be nice. But God does call us to tell the truth to each other and say, you know, the, you know here's what's happening in your life, you know? Uh, but some people, man, when you dispense truth, man, you feel the power of God coming through you. And you're like, yes, confrontation, let's go. You know, you're ready. You know, in the name of Jesus, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit's bringing this train of truth right, you know, in your front door. I mean, for you, you just, you feel that. You know, you feel the power of God there. Others of you, it's exhausting. Like you're sick, you're thrown up in a trash can, you're on your knees praying, and you're going, God, I have to tell them something, but I don't want to. And for you, you've got to like really charge yourself up spiritually. And for others of you, you're like, man, that's when I feel God's power. Others of you need to feel God's power before you can even go do that. So again, what we're talking about isn't that, you know, if I'm not an activist, I don't have to tell the truth. No, we all have to tell the truth and we all have to care. But some people are going to do it a little bit more and a little bit better because that's where they experience the renewing power of God. So we're all called to do that. We're all called to be there. Uh, it's important. Um, so anyway, so let's, so we're going to engage there. Now I want to talk a little bit about this guy by the name of Elijah, because if you read through the, the scripture in first Kings chapter 17, 18 and 19, I've got a few excerpts in the app. We've got an excerpt we're going to put up on the screen, but for those of you that are interested in maybe reading somebody who is like this in scripture, I, I really think Elijah exhibits character traits of all three of these people. Uh, Elijah is a caregiver. He's an activist, and he is also an ascetic. Um, whether he is this way all the time or whether he's driven to this, I don't know, uh, but he sort of displays each of these, and he talks, as he goes through each of these phases, sort of, you see each of these cycles of prayer, of reflection, of engaging that take place. In chapter 17, Elijah goes, and there's this drought that's happening, and, and he finds himself in, a, in sort of a, you know, a little out, remote, out-of-the-way place, and he finds this widow that's there who uh, has a son, and she's preparing a meal for them both, and they, you know, her expectation is that this is the last bit of flour she's got, last bit of oil, and then they're going to go off and die of hunger someplace. And Elijah meets them in this very real place, and he says, hey, listen, I want you to know that God's going to care for you. God's going to provide for you. And Elijah cares for them, and, and miraculously the Lord uh, provides for them, both through the flour and the oil, and it's a, pretty, it's a pretty awesome story in Scripture where it just never runs out um, until the rains start to come and the drought is lifted. But Elijah shows them incredible care. Uh, Elijah also raises this, this widow's son from the dead. He, this boy gets ill and dies, and Elijah intercedes on behalf of this child and this woman so that way God would bring uh, life back to the son, and that's what he does. And you see this incredible just this moment where Elijah is there sort of, you know, caught up caring for this family, this, you know, the single mom and, and her son. It's a pretty moving place. But in each of those instances, you're going to see that Elijah is praying. 
And you're going to maybe not see that Elijah is reflecting. It says Elijah went and reflected. But you'll see that Elijah has great clarity about why he's there and about what he's doing. He'll say, you know, I'm here because God has sent me. And this is going to happen because God cares for you. And, and Elijah uses each of those moments as a testimony to the power of God. And Elijah is an incredible caregiver in this chapter of Scripture. Chapter 18, Elijah becomes an activist. And really in the Old Testament, the activists that we think of, they were called prophets. Now, I know when we think about prophets today, we think about people telling the future, right? And they're going to they're gonna discern something that's going to happen in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, 100 years. You know, if you're really good, you call it 1,000 years out. And, you know, who's going to know anyway, right? You know, so you call it all the way out there, and you're this prophet. But in the Old Testament, prophecy was generally speaking truth to power. It was speaking truth to the situation. It was saying like, hey, your life is kind of messed up. Hey, you're, you know, you're a very corrupt ruler. Uh, these were not popular people, by the way. They were not popular people, um, but they were speaking truth to power. And this is Elijah. He's this activist, and he's this prophet, and he's constantly speaking truth against the evil king Ahab. Well, it, it comes to a climax here in chapter 18 because uh, Elijah uh, gets word from God that it's time to really kind of have a showdown. Uh, the entire nation of Israel is churned away from following God, and what they're doing now is they're worshiping this false god named Baal. And Elijah says, hey, you know what? Let's do this. Let's have a showdown between God and Baal, and we'll see who is really God. That's what we're going to do. And so they get engaged in this moment. They start having this conversation, and he says, all right, here's how this is going to roll. Uh, we're going to each set up these altars, and whoever's God can send fire down from heaven and ignite the altar. That God wins, the other God loses. And they're all like, yeah, let's bring it on. And so in this incredible story, you know, uh, these prophets of Baal, they're there. They make this altar, and they start crying out to God. And, and they had this belief that if they cut themselves, that um, God would hear them more. And so they're like slashing themselves, and they're bleeding all over the place and they're crying out to God, they're God Baal, and, and nothing happens. And so Elijah then is like, all right, it's my turn. And then he has this altar doused with water. It's an incredible story. I encourage you to go read it in 1 Kings 18. It doused the water, you know, it doused the altar with water. It's just soaking wet. And he says, God, if you're there, would you just light this thing up? And it says that fire just comes from heaven, just lights the whole thing up. Even the water just burns just this crater in the ground. And it's an incredible moment. Uh, where God shows himself to be true through the ministry, the prophetic ministry of Elijah. And, you know, I think all of us, as we look at that, we're like, man, wouldn't it be cool to be Elijah, right? To just sort of know that you could say, God, bring down fire, and then fire just shows up. And to just have that kind of faith and that connection with God, just be pretty spectacular. And, and I think sometimes we romanticize what it means to sort of serve in that place. And we think, oh, man, that would be so cool. You'd never be frustrated in your faith. You'd always feel really good. But the truth is, and this is sort of the pitfall for caregivers and activists, is sometimes it just wears you out a little bit. Sometimes it leaves you feeling empty. Because in 1 Kings 19, we see that Elijah flees all of it. And his simple prayer is, God, I want to die. Would you just take my life? I've worked so hard. I, I feel like every time I turn around, I fail. And now the queen whose prophets that were involved in all this, now she's saying that she's going to take my life. God, just let's let it be over. And that's his prayer. And in chapter 19, Elijah turns ascetic and he runs to the mountain where he's going to go meet with God. Here's what we read in 1 Kings 19, 9. It says, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left 
and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah just says, God, I've had enough. I've been this activist. I've been this caregiver, and I feel like I've got nothing left to give, nothing left that I'm able to do. And he goes to the mountain. Here's, here's the truth that I know for all of us, whether you're an ascetic or not, there are times in our lives when we just have to sort of get away and be with God. You don't have to run to a mountain. You don't have to run to a monastery. It can happen in your house. It can happen in your car. It could happen over the period of a week. It could happen over the period of a month. Or some of you have been going for this for a year, and you're, just, you're dealing with this. And, you know, there's a time in all of our lives when we just have to sort of run, and we say, God, I just need to hear from you. And maybe you've got similar complaints. You're like, God, I've been so faithful and it doesn't seem to work. God, I feel like I've been beating my head against the wall and I don't ever seem to get anywhere. I mean, I've been there. I think we all go through those seasons in our faith. It's just normal. But I think God sometimes does that to draw us closer to him. And he encourages us. Here's what he says to Elijah. The Lord said to him, he says, go back the way you came. In other words, Elijah, you're not done yet. Elijah, I've got more things for you to do. And he's actually going to give him a list of some things he wants him to do. He says, Elijah, go back where you came from. Go, go back home. You've got this, Elijah. And he also says this. He says, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. He says, Elijah, you're not alone. I'm with you. There are other people that are with you. Go back home and get back in the fight. Get back in there. Friends, we all need to hear that sometimes. And, and where do we hear that? When we spend those moments with God and we say, God, I want to hear from you. So it's important that we engage in all those things, that we pray, that we reflect, that we engage. But I think it's important for all of us to know that at different seasons in our life, we will be drawn to particular pathways. And I think this is one that God uses to sort of draw us back to him and say, listen, let me give you a little bit of heavenly perspective. All right, I want to give you a few pitfalls here because it's not, you know, it's not all easy. Some of you that have these temperaments, you'll have some things that you deal with. I want to highlight these. Uh, the first is this, is that you judge others with a different pathway. We talked about this last week, but I think this is especially true for, um, you know, our caregivers and our activists. Because unlike caregivers and activists, a lot of our other pathways, like there's nothing to show for it. Um, for example, let's say you pray all day. Uh, what do you have at the end of the day that you can point back on and say, this is what I did today? Um, you don't have anything to point back. You could have like, maybe like a prayer list, you know, or like a stopwatch, and you're like, that's how long I prayed. Um, you know, there's not much to show there. Uh, but if you're a caregiver, you're like, hey, I fed like 2,000 people today that were hungry and homeless. What did you do today again? Oh, you were praying for those people. That's cute. I was feeding them. So thanks. You know, the activist, same thing. True. You know, hey, I'm going to deal in truth. I mean, I changed some people's minds. I, I dispensed truth today. I, you know, I, I talked to, you know, 100 people. I wrote, you know, a thousand letters. I did this, that and the other. You know, I was on the phone. That's great. What did you do today? Oh, you, you were praying for people. That's right. Well, I was, I was actually doing God's work. You were praying for. Well, it's important that we remember we work together. Now, the ascetic can do it too. Then be like, all right, that's fine that you think you've got to go do something. You know, it's just me and God, me and God all day long. Um, we, it, there's something in us that just sort of wants to compare and, and we've got to get rid of that. All right, so don't judge each other's pathway. Second one is being a martyr. Uh, this one is an incredibly, I think, prominent pitfall for a lot of people that are in these 
types of spiritual pathways where you just are like, man, I'm the only one who gives. You'd be like Elijah. I'm the only one who's left. I'm the only one who prays around here. I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one that tells the truth. And we just sort of adopt this martyr persona. And here's the thing. God gave you this pathway, not so you could be a martyr, so that you could be renewed. When you start feeling the martyr, this is just letting you know that you need to take some time and some space and get some renewal in there. Because, you know, you get into it and you should leave feeling renewed. You shouldn't leave feeling emptied if this is your spiritual pathway. And so if so, there's something wrong in this connection with you and God or the people, and you got to get that figured out. All right, so being a martyr is the second one. Giving to receive. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to give so that way I can get something back. It may not be from the people. It may be recognition from others. It might be that you have got a spiritual gold star chart in your mind, and you're like, man, I got like 10, you know, 10 gold stars stars now that I did all those things. Uh, whatever it is, we've got to realize that, you know, who are we doing this for? We've got to always, if we're not doing it for God, it's going to leave us feeling empty. Um, fourth, and finally here, neglecting our own lives and those closest to us. It is tragic, just tragic, how many Christian leaders, their families just like fall apart and disintegrate. Some of them just, you know, blow up in spectacular newsworthy fashion. And we just look at the wreckage and we go, how did that happen? You know, their kids are a total train wreck. Why? Because they were spending more time with, you know, with other people's kids, you know, or, or with their church or with their mission or whatever they were. You know, they're just, it just blows up. And you go, well, how did that happen? Well, that's how it happened. You know, odds are they neglected their own family. They neglected their own life. They neglected their own kids. And, and it all blew up in their face. Uh, this is why Paul in 1 Timothy, he says this. He says, anybody who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul says, listen, it is great that you go out and you feed people. Just make sure you're feeding your home. You know, it's, it's great that you tell the truth to others. Just make sure you're telling the truth to the people at your home. It's great that you care for others. Just make sure you're caring for the people in your home. Don't neglect to provide for them in your quest to provide for others. So that's sort of the fourth and I think final pitfall that we've got to bear in mind. All right, just real quick, worship team's coming out. I'll give you a few suggestions here on how you might pursue this. In the app, uh, we did load up some ideas, some suggestions. I'll share a few right now for you. Uh, but here's some ideas to help you take time for renewal. If you're an ascetic, turn off the TV at home. Just let it be silent for a while. Um, if you've got a family and they like noise, maybe do it when they're not there. Um, or second, you could just commute maybe one way, uh, maybe both ways, and just have the radio off being silent and enjoy that silence, and use that time for prayer and reflection with God. Um, downsizing, donating things to a local charity. This is a great thing for the ascetic who wants to live a simple life. It's a great thing for a caregiver who wants to give. So downsizing, donating, that's a really good thing that you can do. Um, some of you are people that want to walk through an area of need and pray for it. You know, you could do this downtown. You could do this uh, where we know folks are, you know, suffering. You could do it at the hospital. You could do it at a place where you just know people are going through a hard time um, and just spending some time praying for people. Uh, volunteering, if you're a caregiver, uh, volunteer, work with Room in the Inn that we've got going on. Work with Salvation Harmony. Uh, there's lots of agencies in the Bowling Green area that would love for you to volunteer and work with them. If you're an activist, uh, put a link in there to this thing called International Justice Mission. Their mission is to end slavery in our lifetime. And yes, slavery is still a real deal. And if you're an activist, you probably already know that. Um, but you can subscribe to their newsletter, and they'll let you know about what's going on, things you can do, letters you can write, people you can call, so that way you can be engaged in that kind of work and ministry. 
helping a friend or neighbor with a home project. You know, you don't have to go far. Sometimes you just have to go next door and you can help. Uh, do something anonymously for a family in need. You know a family's in need. You know a family's struggling. You know, you can put some groceries there, you know, on their back door. You could do, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things you could do for them. They don't ever have to know who it's from. And, and that, if you're a caregiver, is going to be something that's really going to renew your soul. So there's lots of things that we can do. I uh, encourage you to give those a try this week. Now, again, if this week wasn't for you, come back next week. You know, we're going to talk about three different pathways. Um, and we're going to talk about those. But it is my prayer in this series that everybody realizes that we have our own unique way of connecting with God and experiencing renewal in Him. Why don't you stand and let me pray, and then we'll go ahead and sing our song of decision. God, it is good to be here, and Lord, it is, it's good to celebrate the difference and the diverse, uh, different ways that we all connect with you. God, you didn't make us sort of just, you know, one rubber stamp, you know, automaton. God, we're all very unique people with different ways that, that we want to serve, that we want to connect. And so, God, it is my prayer as we go through this that, that each person, each different pathway feels validated and feels celebrated, God, because that's what you really want for them. And so, Lord, for, for my ascetics and for my caregivers and the, the activists that are here this morning, God, would you uh, put on their heart... Um, just the need to accept one of these challenges, one of these small things that they can do this week to connect with you and experience your, your renewal. God, we pray this in your name, and we ask it for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. When you're ready to take the next step on your faith journey, visit our website at bowlinggreenchristian.org and find more information about service times and other programming for both adults and children. Thank you again, and have a blessed day.